You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hello and welcome to episode number one of the Life After Hockey podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Brad Lieb. I am your host. I am a former professional hockey player turned rookie podcaster. And before we get started, I want to give a shout out. To the Hockey Podcast Network. Find them online, thehockeypodcastnetwork.com. Find them on Twitter, at HockeyPodNet. And want to give a shout out to the partners and co-founders, Isha Jerome and Dylan Kayser. These two gentlemen from back in the woods of Vancouver Island, BC, over the past year have created this Hockey Podcast Network that includes... Every single NHL market, plus some one-off specialty shows like this one. And keep in mind, these guys created this in the midst of a global pandemic and an NHL shutdown. And these guys are just getting started. And I am grateful to be a part of it and thank Isha and Dylan for their support and the opportunity. Keep going, guys. You guys are doing amazing and looking forward to many good things this season. And I'd also like to add, so not only are these two gentlemen co-founders, they're also podcasters themselves. So check out Isha's contribution called The Soda Pod that caters to the Minnesota wild market. And check out Dylan's podcast called the stick hungry podcast that caters to the san jose sharks market and dylan also has kyle mclaren on as a co-host former shark they got some pretty cool entertaining shows check them out so why a podcast why the life after hockey podcast well i'm in my life after hockey and i'll get to that in a moment This actually started back at the beginning of 2020. I was a guest on a podcast. I was a guest on Tales with TR. Terry Ryan, former first round draft pick, Montreal Canadian, and author who just actually launched his second book, Fights, Film, and Folklore, forwarded by Ken Reed. And Terry's an amazing, if you haven't checked out his podcast and you like stories, Terry's an amazing storyteller and he has, and he has a lot of them. And I was a guest on his podcast and I didn't know that these two guys from Vancouver Island, Dylan and Nisha, were producing the podcast. And I'm out on, I live out on Vancouver Island myself and... We just wanted to connect being from the same area. And and that's really when one conversation led to another and, and here I am talking to you today. So diving into the podcast world, it's been fun and exciting and really cool to just reconnect with some hockey people and every single player that I've reached out to so far has been so accommodating and willing to to share their story. I've been reaching out to people with some amazing stories and and more so people that are just up to really cool things and supporting real cool causes and following their passion, including my first guest. And before we get to my first guest, my first interview, I'd like to share some of my background with you. 
As I mentioned, I'm in my life after hockey. I played professional hockey for 14 years, mainly in the minors and in Germany, the DEL and the UK, the EIHL. And I also had a couple cups of coffee in the NHL, a few games with the Vancouver Canucks and the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I retired about eight-ish seasons ago. And since retiring, I have found the transition into life after hockey challenging. And my journey has included a lot of change. Obviously, the, the most notable is a major career change. Changing careers from something that you focused on your entire life and now you can't do that anymore in the same capacity you could still be involved in the game but i i really enjoyed being a player i really enjoyed being a part of the game and so now i'm i i i, I was fortunate to be able to walk away on my own terms my own choice when you're playing pro hockey there's only three ways you can leave the game if you're able to leave on your own terms that's amazing or you're probably going to leave through injury or if they don't want you anymore so i'm grateful i was able to choose to leave i had my last year in the UK and played on the same team as my brother in Coventry and it was great to be able to finish my career playing with him and even finish playing right up until our last game playing on the same line and we knew it was our last game and had a had a really fun game we both scored in that game and it was just a very cool way to to finish the career so i retired in 2013 and since then as i said i've experienced some major changes job changes some relocations young family unfortunately divorce and loss of my dad and that all led to a lot of personal development and eventually led me to the world of personal coaching and now i'm a certified personal coach with the icf and love being able to empower others to create the next possibilities in their life so i look forward to sharing more of my journey and my experiences and my learning as we go and right now, I'd like to get to my first guest, who has an interesting, amazing story himself. He's an advocate for mental health, former NHL goalie, and just a, just a great human being that is really making a difference, supporting others, and there's parts of the interview that you'll be able to hear him even mention that he's he's found his purpose he's found his passion and i believe that's what it's all about so without further ado let's get to my first guest conversation with Corey hirsch enjoy all right my guest today he was born in Medicine Hat, Alberta. He played four years of junior hockey with the WHL Kamloops Blazers. He was drafted by the New York Rangers 169th overall in the 1991 entry draft. He won the CHL Goalie of the Year Award and the CHL Memorial Cup in 1992. He won a silver medal with Team Canada at the 1994 Winter Olympics in Lillehammer. And that was just the beginning of a 13-year professional career playing for the New York Rangers, the Vancouver Canucks, Washington Capitals, and Dallas Stars. He finished his career over in Europe, in Sweden in 2006, 
And since retiring from hockey, he has been involved with various teams as a goalie coach and currently working as an NHL broadcaster with Sportsnet. And most importantly, he has been an advocate for mental health and wellness, dedicated himself to ending the stigma of mental health, becoming the National Youth Ambassador for the Center of Addiction and Mental Health. Thank you for taking the time to join me and welcome Mr. Corey Hirsch. Yeah, no, it's uh, awesome. I, I appreciate uh, appreciate doing this stuff. Um, you might hear the odd dog in the background or something, but it's all it's all good. Uh, you know what? It's uh, I love what you're doing. I love the the opportunity to to talk about it. Um, and the more people to, we can reach, and the more people that we can help, all the better. Absolutely, I, I agree. And and you know, just to kind of reiterate, the the intention of this podcast is really to explore. Um, the lives of former players and what they've been up to and highlight some of the great things that they're doing. Um, definitely, you are in that category. As I mentioned, you were definitely one of the first people I thought of when when wanting to put together a wish list of guests. So again, thank you for being here. Um, and, you know, I guess Life After Hockey is the name of the podcast. What uh, what do you tell us what you're up to these days? Where yeah. you're at? And what does a day in the life of Corey Hirsch look like? Yeah, so uh, I'm a broadcaster for the Vancouver Canucks, uh, color color commentary on the radio. Um, you know, you know, I, I, I love what I'm doing, um, but I'm also a, a mental health advocate. My article came out in the Players Tribune that the struggles that I had with obsessive compulsive disorder while I was playing. Um, and since then I've, I've realized that mental health is a, you know, a, a huge need. So, you know, just in, in reiterating and relating to what your, your podcast is and all that, um, whether it's, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, mental health, uh, dyslexia, like a guy like Brent Sopel, um, you know, there's a lot of guys that, it, or, or even financial, it doesn't have to be that it's, um, finding a passion and finding something that you love and finding something that gives back. That's where I've really, um, I, th I think I've been blessed. I think a lot of guys come out of the game and a lot of players and a lot of people come out of the game thinking that um, they need to, to do certain cookie cutter, cutter things like do this, I need to do this, I need to do this. It's more, becomes more about finding a passion. You will never find a job that's better than skating out on the ice in front of 20,000 people or 5,000 people um, as far as a job goes, right? So... Uh, and sorry, I'll, I'll get long-winded and I'll give you an opportunity to, to ask me more stuff. But um, it's about my life has become more about significance now. So when I was mm -hmm. a player, and I don't know how if you felt like this, and I'll ask you this back, actually. When you're a player, it's about you. It's about my pregame, my performance. How did I play? Uh, you know, did I score enough goals? Did I save enough goals? Did I do well enough so that I can get another job next year? It's about me. Okay. So coming out of the game now, it's like, I've had that. What do I want? You know, what do I want out of my life? And I chase jobs. I chase goaltending coaching jobs because I thought that's who I was. Uh, I'll be a goalie coach and it'll be great. And I'll be, and I'll be do this and I'll do that. But I didn't really love it. And I'll be honest with it. You know why? Because it wasn't my passion, right? So once I got into my passion, which is mental health, uh, and I love broadcasting, but ultimately my path is mental health. So I, I, I found that. But it's hard to find. You don't find that right away. It took me 10 years to find it. It really did. Out of the game, I floundered for 10 years. I had jobs. I, I kept you know money coming in. But what I really love is, is I found my passion. And mm -hmm. that's kind of where the difference has become. And I don't know if you found that, uh, Brad, but do you find like this is more of your passion rather than hockey? It was kind of more about you. I don't know if you found that, but is that something that you've kind of looked into yourself? Yeah, there's definitely a, a selfish aspect to to when you're playing. And, and, and in a way, you kind of have to be. You, it's about oh, no your question. career and you have to, you know, do your thing to, to get your job done. And and definitely, yeah, I've I've personally find it uh, I've found it really challenging. My life after hockey, my journey after hockey, I've um, you know bounced around with different jobs and trying different things. And and there's also the life aspect of it. Um, you know, just we'll, we'll keep yeah. it real. Like I, you know, 
had had my jobs and my my relocations and and a young family and dealing with separation and divorce and my dad passed away those are just life things that has nothing to do with you know the the identity piece that you're trying to find after the game and you know i i think you know with these conversations i want to speak to all people i think we all go through stuff we all go through changes and you know i think you know some of the things that 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 I want to highlight can 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 speak to a lot of a lot of different people and and especially your story and you know I, I'd like to go back to you know for those that don't know your story I'd like to go back to you know 1994 you're with the New York Rangers oh yeah they're, they're going on to win you know the Stanley Cup and 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 a huge uh, a moment in New York Rangers history. And you're with the team, and I'd love to hear your perspective of what that was like being around the team, and then what your personal experience was at that time of your life. Yeah, you know, it's um, so a lot of people look at childhood trauma when they when they talk about mental health. Everyone thinks back, okay, well, what happened in your childhood? What 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 happened to you? Right? Um, not all mental health is is like that. And uh, I was diagnosed eventually with obsessive compulsive disorder. And, and while some people with OCD have trauma, a lot of people that I know have the same issue. They know the time, the place, exactly where they were when their brains just kind of break. And that's mm-hmm. almost really what happened to me. I had a great childhood, great parents. Um, you know, nothing was perfect, but I had nothing, no sexual abuse, no physical abuse, no emotional abuse. Like there was nothing that would say this person was susceptible to a mental health issue, right? Sometimes you can, a lot of times you can, you can, you can foreshadow that. So my point in all of that is, is that I'm on the run with the New York Rangers. I just finished, a, a, a won a silver medal at the Olympics um, and was on a run with the New York Rangers. And they were, they were, it had been 54 years, right? And I'm, I'm the black ace. I'm the third goaltender. So I'm not even really playing. When one, I'm out with some friends one night and something in my brain just kind of breaks. I get these re, ridiculous, dark thoughts. I, I don't even know why they're there, and I can't, but I can't stop them. They just keep repeating, and I'm trying to figure them out. I'm trying to figure them out. Uh, long story short, uh, you know, panic attacks, tsunami waves of panic attacks, like beyond what you can even imagine, uh, to the point where I, I made an attempt at my own life. Um, and, uh, he, you know, from there on that point, because of the stigma and trying to play in the National Hockey League, I thought mental illness meant mentally weak. I thought nobody would want me. So I just hid it. I, I hid everything. When in actual fact, if I'd have gone to get help the next day, it would have been the greatest thing I'd ever done because I'd have went, I, I, I struggled for three years. I waking up every day, panic attacks um, to the point where, um, you know, it was debilitating. And, uh, finally I reached out to a trainer and again, these are the Coles notes, but I was in Vancouver after I got traded from New York. Um, and, uh, I got diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder. So for three years, every day I struggled, I made an attempt at my own life, um, panic attacks, um, you know, couldn't train properly, couldn't sleep properly, didn't eat properly, all those things. And, finally to the point where I was debilitated, where I couldn't function anymore. My teammates were noticing I'd let I drop 30 pounds um, to the point where I had no choice, but to reach out. A therapist comes to my door uh, in my apartment because I didn't want to go to a therapist's office uh, because heaven forbid an NHL player gets seen and in going into the therapist's office back then with the stigma, right? How ridiculous mm-hmm. he comes and he diagnoses me with obsessive compulsive disorder within about 15 or 20 minutes. And he's like, um, it's not curable, but it's very treatable and you're going to be fine. Point being is, is that I could have saved myself three, four years of torturing myself every day, uh, debilitating panic attacks if I had just reached out and gotten help. So point again, that's why I try and get people to encourage them to reach out and get help. No matter how uh, much of a struggle they're in, especially men. I, I, I wish we could have been educated in high school about these things. It didn't have to get to that point. So uh, point being, I was with the New York Rangers at the time. They'd won the Stanley Cup. I had tried to just stay out of the way. I had an Olympic silver medal within four months and a Stanley, I drank out of the Stanley Cup. I didn't have my, get my name on the Stanley Cup because I was a third goalie, but I had fulfilled the childhood dream. 
you couldn't tell me how great my life was because it didn't matter because my mental health was not there and I was really struggling. Um, point being, uh, you know, to be able to reach out and get help is what I advocate for now. And to get past that stigma that mentally, uh, mental illness means mental weakness because it absolutely does not. And Robin Leonard, who is a goaltender now, just signed a five-year deal with Las Vegas, uh, $25 million after coming out with bipolar and addiction, um, has blown the doors off of that stigma. So again, long-winded, but this is the platform I have and this is what I love to use it for. I, I love all that. I mean, this is, I want to use this platform as a way to, to share and to educate and for us all to learn. Um, could you speak to like obsessive compulsive disorder for, for those of us that don't yeah. know what that is or what to watch for? And even, you know, to have some grace if, if we're, if we come across other people that are, that are maybe have that going on, is there any information that you can no absolutely because the symptoms are all the same so uh i'll I'll give an example so most people think obsessive compulsive disorder is people that wash their hands obsessively or they're organized or they're overly neat right Right. i did everything in my head so you wouldn't be able to see it everything was done in my head like all the thinking all the compulsions everything was done in my head so when my article came out i think that's what blew the doors off is because the tip the typical stigma to obsessive compulsive disorder is people that overly wash their hands and overly clean and overly neat. There's so many facets to OCD that it's tough to explain, but I'll explain to you what, what it's like for me. And this isn't my type of OCD, but I'll explain in the best way because we've all had this thought. So you're driving down the road, there's traffic coming one way, you're going the other way, right? And you have that impulsive thought, what if I swerve my car into the other lane, right? Well, I'm going to hit another car. I'm going to get an accident. I might kill some people, right? A normal brain goes, oh, that was a stupid thought. And you go on with your day and you go home. An obsessive compulsive brain like mine would be like, why did I have that thought? Does that mean I want to hurt myself? Does that mean I want to hurt others? Hmm. Oh my God, I'm going to just go home and never drive my car again, right? Because I don't want that to happen. That's an obsessive compulsive brain. Whereas a normal brain would go, Oh, that was a ridiculous thought. Why, why did I even think that? And they would just forget about it and go on with their day. Um, point being is, is that with obsessive compulsive disorder, they're like a lot of mental, other mental health issues. Um, there's withdrawal from friends and family. Uh, you'll notice somebody withdraw, whether it's depression, anxiety, OCD, bipolar, whatever it is, they'll start to withdraw from friends. They'll start to uh, make unexcused absences for things. They'll be, they'll lie about why they were late. They'll lie about why they were missed a meeting. I I was missing meetings. I was missing, I was late for practice. I was the first guy off the ice, uh, you know, uh, last guy on when the year before I was the, I was the, the first guy on last guy off. Right. Like, so there's a change in habits, uh, oversleeping, uh, under eating, overeating. And then the big one, substance abuse, right. Mm -hmm alcohol, drugs, self-medicating. Those are all things to look for. Um, and I, I tell people the biggest thing to look for your, in your kids is look for them withdrawing uh, because that's the first thing they'll do. They'll withdraw from their friends, their family, um, because they'll be trying to hide something, right? You don't go from being normally social and socially active to withdrawing from everybody. Something is wrong, right? We used to always go, um, you know, well, you've played with guys too that probably overdrank too much, and you're like, geez, that guy's drinking a lot or whatever. I've played with lots of those guys, and you're just like, nah, that's who they are. But guess what? They're struggling. That's why they're drinking. There's something going on. Whether they reach out to get the help is up to them. But being an ear to listen is the best thing you can do for somebody. I I want to you know continue to keep it real on this podcast as much as I can and and you know you mentioned drinking I was one of those guys I drank a lot and looking back preaching to the choir man <laughs> but right. looking back on it you know I there was there's a certain time in my career that I there was a lot of change in 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 one summer I was rehabbing a knee injury uh, my girlfriend at the time uh, got unexpectedly pregnant. Uh, my mom was sick and in and out of the hospital and, uh, she ended up passing away. And then I ended up getting traded on the day of her funeral. And I was a 23 year old oh, guy yeah. trying to navigate 
like now what do I do? And, and, and then I, I even reference, you know, if you go look at my stats, the next year after that, all that happened in the summer, I had the most penalty minutes I've ever had. And I was yeah, in, right. you know, I ended up in St. John's Newfoundland, which is a little bit of a drinking culture. And it was easy to kind of, you know, hide that because you go out for beers, you go take a couple penalties and, you know, that's, that's hockey. So, yeah. so yeah, the, 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 the awareness and, and um, like you're saying, like the, the changes in, in behavior, I think are, are, are very key. Um, you also mentioned, you know, just about, I want to get back to even the stigma of it. So like back yeah. when you were with the Canucks, I, I looked up something, I heard you talking about um, a meeting that you would have had with the team. And yeah. there was one game that yeah, I think you guys were on the road and you something was happening and you said that you couldn't play. And yeah. and just speak to, you know, maybe that meeting, how that came about and maybe the response of your teammates at that time. Yeah. So that was really the 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 catalyst to me finally getting help. Um, that was to the point where I had hidden for so long and eventually mental health is like having a broken leg, right? You can't walk around for three years with a broken leg and pretend that it didn't happen, <laughs> right? You, it's mental health is the same way. Like eventually you got to get it fixed, right? Mm -hmm. Your body's going to go, Hey, I can't do this anymore. And that's kind of what happened that day. So we were in New Jersey at a morning skate. And that was the point where I lost like 30 pounds again and talk about withdrawing from my teammates, not sleeping, not eating. My teammates are all looking at me like, what's wrong? You know, something's up. They were starting to wonder what was up. And I was to the point where, okay, like I got to get help or I just got to end this because I can't live this way anymore. So uh, that morning, um, I had so much anxiety that I started to have a thing called depersonalization. And it's, you can't, it's like you're having an out of body experience. It's like your brain is just like overloaded. It's done. Like it's just, it's gone. It's, it's just, it's done. You've got so much anxiety. I couldn't see pucks. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I got to get some help. And um, so I went up to the coach and I said, I can't, I can't play. I, I just, I can't do this to my teammates anymore. And, and, and at that point I'm, you know, I'm a shell of a human being. I'm, I'm debil Like I'm, I'm not even really. So we call an emergency meeting. I'm in the corner of the locker room. It was the most embarrassing moment of my life. I've got 19 other NHL players around me. Uh, I feel like I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. I feel like less of a man than everybody else. And the coach says, look, you know what? Something's going on with Hershey. We're not going to say anything. Um, you know, we're going to get him some help and, you know, the other goalie starting. So at that moment in time, I was like, I just threw my NHL career away. Right. Um, and that was that moment. And I got on the bus and as my teammates walked by me, um, they still didn't understand because I wasn't being forthright with what was going on. Right. And, and, and I don't blame them for not understanding. So half of them or a third of them, I would say were, um, thought I was a bad guy. A third of them probably were uh, neutral and just worried about themselves. And then a third of them really actually were very concerned for me. Um, so anyways, I got back. That's when I got back to Vancouver, I had talked to a trainer, trainer called a therapist to come see me to try and help me and figure out what was going on. And that was the catalyst to being uh, diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder. So none of that had to happen, right? Like, like none of that had to happen. If, if, I just reached out initially and asked for some help, but mm. due to the stigma and the things that were, this is 1994. Right. And I was, a, I was supposed to be a man. I was supposed to be right. Like I was supposed to be all these, all these things as an NHL player. Um, you didn't reach out for help and I didn't want to throw my NHL career away. So, uh, but where did that get me? Right. Like, 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 where did that get me not getting help? It, it, uh, it, it just caused more and more problems. So that was kind of that day but I look at that day and I'm thankful now because um, it brought me to today, right? So I look at the NHL and all in the Olympics or whatever, and I'm like, that was a catalyst to do what I'm doing today. That's mm -hmm. all that was. It was great, but the NHL isn't my, my end-all, be-all. Any win I ever got in the NHL, Olympics, whatever I played in, um, does not compare an iota 
to helping somebody that's struggling with mental health. When I get a, an email from a, uh, I'll give you an example. I got an email the other day from a 17 year old kid, terrified, uh, not knowing who to talk to, not knowing where to go. And I'm able to get him lead it led in the right direction. And I know he's going to be okay. That supersedes any win in any league in anything I ever did. So all that stuff, as painful as it was, had to happen because it's led me to who I am today and what my greater purpose is. I, I definitely want to get to that at the end where, where people can go and, and where we can direct them. And, you know, talking about these events, that, that's still really early in your career and you, yeah. you went on to continue to play. So what were some of the things that, that you did to help yourself throughout the rest of yeah. your career and to manage it? Well, one is, is that I got therapy, right? The other is, is that I got I went on medication, which which helped me immensely. People, there's a huge stigma to medication. Um, you wouldn't tell somebody that has diabetes or cancer to not take their medication. Uh, and some of those medications are pretty harsh, you know, mm. but it's going to save their lives. Well, I went on medication uh, for my brain. And that helped me get through, you know, and then and, and therapy, a, a therapy called CBT, um, and different therapies and different therapists and stuff. But um, and I'll, I'll get a little bit into medication right here because I, I talk about this stuff too as well. Uh, there's a stigma to medication. Okay, well, guess what? Medication saved my life. So let's say on this side, you know, here's the medication. Here's the other side. I, I wouldn't be here today without medication. So you tell me what's worse, right, for people. And would you ever tell people that the medication for their, don't take that? You know, it makes you weak. It makes you this, well, I'm not any stronger dead. So take the goddamn medication, right? Like it, it, it helps me. It makes, it helps me be a better person. It helps me uh, manage my symptoms. And again, you would never tell anybody else uh, to not take their cancer medication or their diabetes or their heart medication. So our brains are physical, you know, but they have to be perfect. No, they're not perfect, right? We're physical beings. Um, after that, I will be, it, it took me 10 years to find somebody that can help me. And that's what I try and uh, help people with today is to lessen that time frame for them, right? It doesn't need to be 10 years for someone. So I got diagnosed, but then it was 10 years before I finally found someone that could truly help me uh, with OCD. And once I got that, it's been great. And, uh, you know, I take medication today. I'm, I have a great life. I have I'm finding my passion, my purpose, um, but it's those things. It's learning the tools from therapy. It's it's medication. Uh, it's reading things. It's it's from people uh, around you, learning things from other people, um, and not being afraid to open up and ask questions because we're we're all human beings, um, and we learn from each other, right? I I can't go build a house on my own. I, I have no idea. I, I but but you know what? I can go ask a carpenter and I can learn and I can work with them. So why wouldn't I do that for my brain? Why wouldn't I find someone that knows how to deal with it and how to give me the tools and I can talk to them and I can become better at that because on my own, I, I don't have those answers. So, um, you know, learning from other people, medication, therapy, those are the things that, that keep me grounded and keep me level. You, you mentioned Robin Leonard, I think, um, you know, I, I believe that you definitely have paved the way and opened the door in a lot of different ways for those conversations to even happen. So just want to acknowledge that. And do you notice anything if you're, you know, talking with people around the league or players, how the conversation has changed since 94 to, to now? Yeah, it's, it's changed a lot. And you know what, and there's guys before me too, though, like, like, I, I give a lot of credit to Sheldon Kennedy. Um, this is a guy in like 98, 99-ish, 97, um, that was an NHL player when it was taboo to talk about sexual abuse, especially for a male, right? Mm. Um, and this is a guy that came out and blew the doors off of that when nobody else would speak about it at all. And I and Sheldon's a friend of mine, and Sheldon said something to me the uh, a few weeks back, and he said, you know, the incident happens, you can't change that. He can't change the sexual abuse. What it becomes after that is mental health. So what he's done is, is that he's acknowledged the fact that someone sexually abused him to bring people, other people and let it know it's okay. Um, 
and then then he works with their mental health after point being is is that there's people before me that that did incredible clint malarchuk uh theo flurry uh claire hughes people started talking about it um and it made it a safe place for me to come out with my stuff right like it made it it made it as especially as a male right as men and i don't know how you felt growing up or, or even as a hockey player you, we were taught like, you know, don't talk about your stuff, like suck it up and, and be a man and, and don't hold your girlfriend's hand in public. Right. Like, like it was those little, like just those little stupid things that, you, and, and yes, privacy is one thing, but you know, as, as men, it's okay to talk about your shit. It's okay to talk about your stuff. Right. It's like, um, you know, how do we learn? We learn from each other. So, um, you know, I, I, I my, my, my piece, in the players tribune kind of might have, I, I really think it had a huge impact and I give the players tribune. Thanks for that. But there's people before me that, that really paved the way. And now you see a guy like Robin Leonard, we need more active players to come forward because the numbers are 20%. Uh, that's one in five. There's 20 players on every national hockey league team. That means three or four guys statistically have a mental illness um, that is treatable but they're not coming forward because of the stigma, right? So we're mm. still not there. But a guy like Robin Leonard, hopefully he's blowing the doors off of that as well with his play. Absolutely. I'm I'm glad you you mentioned all those all the people before you. I think it 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 everyone is adding to the conversation and you know, yourself included and and you know, even the 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 article like you know, Robin Leonard's come forward and it's going to, it's going to take courage for, for more players to, to come forward. And, and, you know, I think it would have taken a lot of courage still at the time in 2017, when that players tribune article came out, it, that I remember when it came out, it was, it was a pretty big deal at the time. And, you know, can you speak to even your own yeah. courage and, and then, you know, after coming out the support that you would have had or, or just oh the reaction yeah. of that after the article. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I was terrified. I'll be honest. I was terrified. I, I was like, I'm not, I'm never going to work again in hockey. I'm going to be, you know, swinging a hammer for the rest of my life. Not that that's a bad thing, but just, you know, that I would never work in hockey again. Hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I was terrified. And then when the article came out, it was the exact opposite. It was like it had two million hits in under two hours. It was at, it just it blew the doors off everything. And then not one negative word, not not I, I I'm being one thousand percent honest, not one negative word in all the comments and all the retweets and all the awesome. all the right, like the love and support was overwhelming. It was almost like People were like, finally, you know, like someone I can relate. Somebody spoke about what I'm struggling with and, and mental health. And, and um, it was just an incredible, it was an incredible moment. And since then, I just feel like now we're in a place. So if you saw Dak Prescott, the Cowboys um, quarterback, he came out with his brother had taken his own life back uh, in March or February and Dak Prescott came out and said that he went through a really bad depression. He's probably still struggling with it. He, you know, maybe, but uh, there's a guy named Skip Bayless, who's a, a commentator who called him weak and all this for saying that um, it was a bombardment on Skip Bayless. Like, mm. what are you, you know what, like, and it wasn't that we should go after Skip Bayless. It was that it, there was a shift in, you know what, don't talk about somebody with mental health issues like that. Like, like this is, you're in the minority now. Like we're, there's way more of us than there are of you that think people with mental illness is weak or someone that struggles with depression. And it was a great moment in the sense that another active player had come forward. Someone tried to quiet them down and, and push them down and, and, keep them under the carpet like we did with mental health years ago. And the world kind of said, uh-uh, that's not going to happen. And it was a, for me, it was a really cool moment. I wish it didn't have to happen that way. Uh, but it was a, it was a moment that showed me that we have a shift in the stigma of mental health. Absolutely. There's a shift in a lot of different conversations right now, I think all for the better. And you know, you know, I, I, I didn't mention the, the the I wanted to mention the title of that article in the Players Tribune so people can can find it. And 
the title is dark, 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 dark. A lot of darks. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just intense. And, and, you know, yeah. just, you know, I want to mention to acknowledge and, 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 and hopefully inspire others to, to come out like this is, you know, I want to acknowledge your, your courage and, and, you know, inspire others to, to reach out to whoever they, they trust and, and to, to just start to have those conversations. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I also want to acknowledge the 2020 mental health award. What does that mean to you? Uh, well, it was, uh, it was NBC and it was, uh, yeah, it was a, a courage to come back awards. And, and I'd been to a lot of, um, I'd been to a few before that of that award and I watched the people that, that had won and they have such incredible stories. And, and, um, I'd, I'd kind of been, a um, like an admirer of it and I'd been part of it and I'd been part of the vote. And then when someone nominated me, I was like, what, what me? Like, I, like what, what I'd like, I played, like, I've had a great life. Like, what have I, right. And then it just acknowledged to me that, you know, it was bigger than I thought. Like it was, it was a bigger moment than I thought. And the fact that people feel that way about my story and what I did, like, 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 I, I just feel like I'm a regular guy. Right. I just, I just told my stuff and just tried to help some people and to be acknowledged in that way that it was a, you know, a courageous way to come back. And, and Brad, you know, as hockey players, that's the game gave me a great gift of resilience. It, it really did. It showed me that, you know, and, and you know this, like when you, when you get scored on as a goalie, I got to pull the puck out of my net and I got to be ready to go five seconds later. Cause if I'm not, I'm getting scored again. And the next goalie's going to be in there. I'm going to right? I can't, and my team's going to lose. So you learn a resilience that you put everything behind you and you just keep moving forward. And the same for you, probably, you know, you make a bad pass, you're a minus, you got to go sit on the bench, but guess what? Coach is like, Get out there, right? We got a power play. Yeah. So you got to put that, be able to be behind you. And I never really realized that I do that with my mental health stuff too, as well. That that resilience is a huge part of it. That it's not what happens to you. It's about, okay, what can I do now uh to make that better? And what can I do to maybe be a better person and to and to and to heal? Then you learn to move forward. Um, so that award was kind of like, you know, it was an acknowledgement of the fact that the resilience that I've gone through and that I've showed and that we all have that in us and that, um, you know, it was just a really cool moment. And it was just, a, a, um, yeah, it was just, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was, it's better than, you know, like there's awards in hockey that I've won and, and that one probably means the most to me. Love it. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of lessons to be learned from the game of hockey. It's a beautiful game and, um, yeah, it really is. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, and you know, moving forward, um, just wanted to mention for, for all those that are listening or anyone that's listening that may want to reach out or don't know how to reach out, what would your thoughts and advice be yeah. to anybody out there? You know what? There's um there's always somebody you know that you trust, that you can trust, that's non-judgmental, that you can trust, that you can talk to. And find that person, right? Whether it's a teacher, a friend, a parent, an uncle, an aunt. Um, that's your first step. The other was if you don't have anybody like that, um, we all have a doctor. We all have a GP. Go see your doctor. Go see your GP. When people reach out to me, I tell them, first thing you need to do is you need to go see your, your personal doctor because they've seen it all. They've seen everything. And don't be afraid to open up to them. Um, and they'll be able to lead you in the right direction as to a referral or going seeing a therapist or a medication or whatever you need. Um, and it's just talking to someone. And if someone comes to you, I'll talk to the other side. If someone comes to you, um, the best thing you can do is be non-judgmental and listen. Um, and I'll give an example. Telling somebody how great their life is when they're struggling with mental health isn't going to help them. It's going to make them feel worse, right? Mm -hmm. So I had an Olympic medal on a run with the New York Rangers towards the Stanley cup. You couldn't tell me how great my life is. Two weeks later, I ended up, you know, trying to take my own life. You couldn't tell me. And the only thing that telling me how great my life was would have made me feel even worse about what I was thinking. And I had no control over really my brain. I hadn't had therapy. I hadn't had any medication. So be non-judgmental, 
be non-judgmental. Um, uh, listen, encourage that help is available. Get the person to see their GP. And then if worst case comes to worse, tell somebody, right? Like if somebody comes to me and talks to me about mental health or talks to me about harming themselves, um, I make sure somebody else knows. And it's not to break confidentiality. It's not to do make fun. Or It's because mental health takes a village. And we need to make it like it's a village. So if someone comes to me and tells me that they're thinking of harming themselves, I don't keep it to myself and say, hey, you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. I tell somebody else that understands. And then we get the person the help they need. And then we move forward from there, right? Um, and those are probably the best things I can say for anybody if anybody's struggling with mental health or someone comes to you with mental health. Love it. Love it. Thank you for that. Um, <clears throat> I did actually uh, check out your Instagram right before this. And one of your latest posts was, uh, you know, how you did end up with your gold medal in the end. And I just love that picture of your, your family. Oh, and thank you. Yeah. And uh, that really is what it's about. And, and love that, that you're um, doing what you're doing and supporting, supporting the cause and, and continue to be courageous and just acknowledge everything that you're doing. Um, last question for you. Last week here in Canada was at the time of this recording was Orange Shirt Day in Canada. Oh, yeah. And so Orange Shirt Day, for those that don't know, is to remember and honor those children that were taken from their homes and put in residential schools, Indigenous um, children. And yeah. you had a mask when you played with the Vancouver Canucks that was a Haida-inspired artwork. I love that design. What uh, what was the story behind that? Yeah, mask? you know what? It's um, I had a uh, um, uh, just playing in Vancouver, and it's such a, a big indigenous community. And then the the uh, the guy who made the mask, we were trying to think of something to do. Um, and then it's such a big part that it's like it 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 was great to be able to represent. Just you know, the Orca Bay whale was part of it. Um, and if you've, if you've spent time in Vancouver and you've spent time with the Canucks, like the indigenous community, just live and die with the Canucks. Like it's, and it's so, so inspirational. We've, we, you know, we've had Gino Ojik and then this year we had Michael Furland who was there. Um, and it's, it's just a huge support. So all part of that was just kind of giving back to the community and, you know, and then thanking the community for being such a big part of Vancouver. Um, and it, 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 it really is a, a, a great city. It's a great organization. Um, and we do a lot. We do a lot with uh, those communities and, and we need to do more. We, we, we really do. We, um, you know, the, the, the suicide rates um, in those communities is off the charts and it needs to change. Right. It just it, it really does. And we need to find a way to get to those kids and to get to those people and and just, you know, and just right the wrongs of the past and if we can do that and and put a, a dent in those numbers uh you know we'd be doing great things and and i just uh, i i i would love to do more um and there's so many great like there's so many great people involved in vancouver we have such a great community i'm just proud to be part of it love it love it well I want to thank you again for, for doing this. I really appreciate it. And, and again, acknowledge your work and, and uh, you're welcome back anytime to uh, oh, thanks, keep us updated yeah. on your life after hockey. Absolutely. And, and ultimately the, but the last word is, is that, you know, I am not a finished product by, by any means. I'm still learning to try and be the best person I can be. And it's been a marathon to get here. And that's, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? That's what I tell people. So if you're struggling with mental health, you know, there's no magic pill. It's a marathon, not a sprint, but you'll get there if you continue the work and you reach out and you get some help and do good things. And uh, it's an incredible gift when you do get there. It feels so good and it's, uh, it's an amazing thing. But thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, well said. Thanks a lot, Corey. Thanks, Brad. What a great conversation. Thank you for taking the time, Corey. That was insightful and informative. And what I liked about it 
with all the work that he has done in the mental health space, he was also mindful to mention those that came before him. Sheldon Kennedy, Theo Fleury, Clint Malarchuk, Clara Hughes, all can be acknowledged for the work and courage that they've had along their journeys. And a couple things that stuck out to me with that interview, just the moment, he could go back to the moment where his mind broke. And I didn't even realize that that could happen. And obviously don't know what that would, that experience would be like as much as it was, it was insightful, informative for me to, to learn about that, to even know that that can happen. And then he credits a lot of, of uh, a part of, part of his maintenance is, and, and what has helped him is through Western medicine. And the other thing that that stuck out was he said he could have saved three years of torture if he would have reached out sooner. And I hope that encourages us all to reach out when we need help in whatever, whatever that is, whatever you need help with. Let's reach out and let's let's be kind to those and gentle to those who are reaching out. Non-judgmental, listening, encouraging, and just another uh, last acknowledgement for for Corey and and for all the work that he's done. So, if you want to follow Corey and his work, go to coreyhirsch.com. He's also on Twitter at Corey Hirsch and on Instagram, Corey Hirsch 72 on Instagram. And that's where you'll find, go check out that picture of, of his gold medal family. It's a cool little post. That concludes episode one of the Life After Hockey podcast. Thank you to my guest, Corey Hirsch. Thank you to the Hockey Podcast Network. And thank you to you, the listener, for being here. You're awesome. You got this. Keep going. And enjoy your life. See you next time. I think that went very well.